Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Atlantic Richfield Corporation v. Christian, certiorari to the Supreme Court of Montana, argued December 3, 2019, decided April 20, 2020. As an aside before I start reading, I'd like to note between 2012 and 2015, I actually brought a significant amount of uh, heavy equipment for my friends at Aviracon, Missoula, uh, down to this uh, cleanup site. The Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, 42 U.S.C. Section 9601, also known as the Superfund Statute, promotes the timely cleanup of hazardous waste sites and ensures that the cost of such cleanup efforts are borne by those responsible for the contamination. It's uh, CTS Corporation versus Waldberger. The Act directs the Environmental Protection Agency to compile and annually revise a prioritized list of contaminated sites for cleanup, known as Superfund sites, and makes responsible parties liable for the cost of the cleanup. Before a cleanup plan is selected, a remedial investigation and a feasibility study is conducted to assess the contamination and evaluate the cleanup options. Once that study begins, Section 122E6 of the Act provides no potentially responsible party may undertake any remedial action at the site without EPA approval. To insulate cleanup plans from collateral attack, Section 113B provides federal district courts with exclusive original jurisdiction over all controversies arising under the Act, and Section 113H then strips those courts of jurisdiction to review any challenges to removal or remedial action except in five limited circumstances. For nearly a century, the Anaconda, Anaconda Copper Smelter in Butte, Montana, contaminated an area of over 300 square miles with arsenic and lead. And it's actually in Anaconda, not Butte, which is funny. Um, over the past 35 years, EPA has worked with the current owner of the now-closed smelter, Atlantic Richfield Company, to implement a cleanup plan for a remedial remediation expected to continue through 2025. A group of 98 landowners sued Atlantic Richfield in Montana State Court for common law nuisance, trespass, and strict liability, seeking restoration damages, which Montana law requires to be spent on property rehabilitation. The landowner's proposed plan exceeds the measures found necessary to protect human health and the environment by the EPA. The trial court granted summary judgment to the landowners on the issue of whether the act precluded their restoration damages claim and allowed the lawsuit to continue. After granting a writ of supervisory control, the Montana Supreme Court affirmed, rejecting Atlantic Richfield's argument that Section 113 stripped the Montana courts of jurisdiction over the landowner's claim, and concluding that the landowners were not potentially responsible parties, or PRPs, prohibited from taking remedial action without EPA approval under Section 122E6. The Supreme Court held uh, the decision below is affirmed in part and vacated in part and then remanded. This court has jurisdiction to review the Montana Supreme Court's decision to qualify as a final judgment subject to review under 28 U.S.C. Section 1257A a state court judgment must be an effective determination of the litigation and not of merely interlocutory or intermediate steps therein. 
That's uh, Jefferson versus City of Tarrant. Under Montana law, a supervisory writ proceeding as a self-contained case, not an interlocutory appeal. Uh, Montana Constitution Article 7, Section 2, uh, 1 through 2, and Montana Rules of Appellate Procedures 6, 14, 1, and 14, 3. Thus, the writ issued in this case is a final judgment within this court's jurisdiction. That's uh, Fisher versus District Court of 16th Judicial District of Montana. The act does not strip the Montana courts of jurisdiction over this lawsuit. Section 113B of the act provides that the United States District Courts shall have exclusive original jurisdiction over all control or controversies arising under this chapter. So state courts lack jurisdiction over such actions. The use of arising under in section 113B echoes Congress's more familiar use of that phrase in granting federal courts jurisdiction over all civil actions arising under the Constitution, laws, or treaties of the United States. It's 28 U.S.C. Section 1331. In the mine run of cases, a suit arises under the law that creates the cause of action. American Well Works Corporation versus Lane Bowler Corporation. The landowner's common law nuisance trespass and strict liability claims arise under Montana law and not under the act. Atlantic Richfield mistakenly argues that section 113H, which states that no federal court shall have jurisdiction under federal law to review any challenges to removal or remedial action selected under the act, implicitly broadens the scope of actions precluded from state court jurisdiction under section 113B, but section 113H speaks of federal courts not state courts. There is no textual basis for Atlantic Richfield's argument that Congress precluded state courts from hearing a category of cases in section 113b by stripping federal courts of jurisdiction over those cases in section 113h. Often the simplest explanation is the best. Section 113b deprives state courts of jurisdiction over cases arising under the Act, just as it says, while section 113h deprives federal courts of jurisdiction over certain challenges to Superfund remedial actions, just as it says. The Montana Supreme Court erred by holding that the landowners were not potentially responsible parties under the Act, and thus did not need EPA approval to take remedial actions. To determine who is a potentially responsible party, the court looks to the list of covered persons. In Section 107, the Act's liability section, which includes any owner or of a facility, facility in this turn is defined to include any site or area where hazardous substance has been deposited or deposited, stored, deposited of, or placed, or otherwise come to be located. 42 U.S.C. section 9601-9b Because arsenic and lead are hazardous substances that have come to be located, on the landowner's properties, the landowners are potentially responsible parties. The landowners argue they are no longer potentially responsible parties because the Act's six-year limitation period for recovery of remedial costs has run, and thus they could not be held liable in a hypothetical lawsuit. But even innocent landowners whose land has been contaminated by another, 
and who are thus shielded from liability by Section 107b3's so-called innocent landowner or third-party defense, may fall within the broad definitions of PRPs in Sections 107a1 and 4, or it looks like Sections 107a1 through 4. That's uh, United States versus Atlantic Research Corporation. The same principle holds true for parties facing no liability because of the act's limitation period. Interpreting potentially responsible parties to include owners of polluted property reflects the act's objective to develop a comprehensive environmental response to hazardous waste pollution. Section 122E6 is one of several tools in the act that ensure the careful development of a single EPA-led cleanup effort rather than tens of thousands of competing individual ones. Yet, under the landowner's interpretation, property owners would be free to dig up arsenic-infected soil and build trenches to redirect lead-contaminated groundwater without even notifying the EPA, so long as they have not been sued within six years of commencement of the cleanup. Congress did not provide such a fragile remedy for such a serious problem. The landowners alternatively argue that they are not potentially responsible parties because they did not receive the notice of settlement negotiations required by Section 122E1. EPA has a policy of not suing innocent homeowners for pollution. They did not cause, so it did not include the landowners in settlement negotiations. But EPA's non-enforcement policy does not alter the landowner's status as potentially responsible parties. Section 107A unambiguously defines potentially responsible parties, and the EPA does not have authority to alter that definition. The landowners also argue that Section 122E6 cannot carry the weight ascribed to it because it is located in the section on settlement negotiations. Settlements, however, are the heart of the Superfund statute. Section 122A of the Act commands the EPA to proceed by settlement whenever practicable and in the public interest in order to expedite effective remedial actions and minimize litigation. And EPA's efforts to negotiate settlement agreements and issue orders for cleanups account for approximately 69% of all cleanup work currently underway. A decision below is affirmed in part, vacated in part, and remanded. Chief Justice Roberts delivered the opinion of the court, parts 1 and 2A of which were unanimous, Part 2B, of which was joined by Justices Thomas, Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, Kagan, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, and Part 3, of which was joined by Justices Ginsburg, Breyer, Alito, Sotomayor, Kagan, Kavanaugh, and Kavanaugh. Uh, Justice Alito filed an opinion concurring in part and dissenting in part. Justice Gorsuch filed an opinion concurring in part and dissenting in part, in which Justice Thomas joined. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, we can be reached at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S, like the truck and roads, and 80, or on Twitter at Court Syllabus.